right at this point in our series on Elevate Your Life, and that's based on Ephesians 2 and 6, God raised us up with Christ, and then again, Luke 9 and 1, that we have to take authority over our life. So here I am at the last stage of uh, the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority, and I'm reading from Matthew 8, verses 5 through 8, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Let me just ask you, anybody in this room, I want, I want you to be a real traveler with me. <laughs> anybody ever need help? <laughs> I mean, come on, get serious now. You ever need help? You ever get in a situation you just couldn't fix it by yourself? Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Look at the magnanimity of Jesus. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 18 of Matthew 8 says, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would, and his servant was healed at that moment. In Psalms 107, 19 through 21, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. Say the word. All you have to do is send the word, Jesus. Just speak it. And this guy who doesn't even know the Bible because he's Roman, he's a centurion, he's from another country where the Bible is not part of their, their lore of literature. He's a stranger in Israel. He taps in through revelation into a principle that has already been employed in Scripture where God sent his word, and this is what it said. He healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. I'm speaking today from the subject, using your authority to order your world into alignment with God's plans. Amen. Order your world into alignment with God's plans. Um, just quickly, we are now coming toward the fall season. The school year has begun. We're in the month of September. I don't know about you, but this time of the year goes by so fast for me. I mean, it seems like you barely get your kids in school and all of a sudden you're carving a turkey on Thanksgiving Day or pork roast or something. You know what I'm talking about? And Christmas is so close behind that, it's just un uncanny. And you start a new year. The beginning of this year, we have exciting and incredible plans. We just had a board meeting last night. More will be said about that next week. But I just want you to be here. We are getting ready to move, amen, into our destiny, amen. And so God's word is powerful, and I want us to bow our heads for a moment and ask that whatever that anointing inherent in his word is, that is also coupled with his extraordinary commitment to us to help us become who he called us to be would now be made manifest in this house. Father, speak. We need you to do what you did in the Old Testament when Israel was in dire need, you sent your word. We need you to do what the centurion experienced and witnessed you do for his servant. We need you to say the word. Not only that, we need you to help us understand how as your body in the earth that we can align ourselves with the principles of your word because they do indeed engender life. Some of them we might not always understand or grasp so easily because we live in a material and physical world and 
some of these principles seem to be so impacting, but from another dimension than what we have previously perhaps been exposed to in any course we've ever taken, class we've attended, or study that we've ever sat through. I'm asking you to let your word speak to us now. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Shout it out loud. In Jesus' name. God's word is powerful. So are yours. That's why we need to say the right things. As parents, aren't we all concerned about how our children pronounce their words? <laughs> Whenever they're young, we're always correcting them. And sometimes they don't even like to be corrected. And they're content and happy to say it the way they want to say it. But when they get older, they realize the benefit that if you want to be perceived as intelligent and understanding, comprehending, you have to communicate and articulate in a way that others can understand. Uh, it was Winston Churchill who said, referring to the fact that both America and the UK speak English, but with different accents, said, we are two nations divided by a common language. In the UK, they say schedule, we say schedule. They say laboratory, we say laboratory. The UK, they say leisure, we say leisure. Speaking of pronouncing words differently, you will find that even occurs from one part of the country to the other. Some of us with roots from Louisiana, I was raised there, know of a bridge that, from the other side of Lafayette that, tra that goes all the way almost up to Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, the red stick, named by the Indians there on the uh, Mississippi River. And uh, this bridge is over 18 miles long, and there's swamp on both sides. It cuts through the swamplands of St. Martin's Parish and Iberville, Iberville Parish. It's actually a beautiful area. I've driven over that bridge so many times I can't even count it. And um, many people struggle. If you're from Texas and you've been over that bridge, be careful what you, you call that. Some of the local folk might laugh at you. Put the name up there and you'll see what I'm talking about. Y'all remember that name? I've, I just the other day had a pastor friend of mine try to pronounce that and stumbled all over it and then laughed and said, you're from Louisiana. I'm butchering that, aren't I? And I said, yes, you are. The reason is that's a Choctaw Indian language word and it means long river. And when you finally come across the bridge, you come to these gas stations and these restaurants, these fast food restaurants on the other side. That's where most people stop to gas up again. If you don't know how to pronounce it, it's a chafalaya. Amen. Not achafalaya or any of those. It's a chafalaya. Okay, just like cormier is not cormier, it's cormier. Okay, some of the, you learn those things being raised in Louisiana. Anyway, there were a couple of tourists from Texas that crossed over the bridge, got to the other side, and stopped and went into a fast food restaurant. They had been arguing over the pronunciation of this word. And one said it needed to be pronounced like this because, you know, you have four A's, five A's in that word, and some are long and, some, and this, and he went into all the explanation of why it had to be pronounced a certain way, and his friend said, no, I've got a feeling this word doesn't go by the normal rules, and so they walked into this fast food restaurant, and the young lady behind the counter was waiting, and they walked over to her and said, we have been arguing over the pronunciation of this place, and if you don't mind, would you please say it slowly so we can learn how to say it? And she looked nonplussed for a moment and questioning, and she said, Burger King. <laughs> Amen. 
Communicate clearly if you want to get ahead in life. It's important. People might not understand where you're coming from. But I tell you what, not only is communication important in interpersonal relationships and that we learn how to say things that communicate our feelings and our ideas because people need to know what we're thinking, what we're feeling. If we're going to expect an appropriate response, we need to know what they're thinking and feeling and what's important. Words are important for other reasons. Words that we say actually have meaning. They have value in another sense. The Roman centurion told Jesus that unlike the nation of Israel that Jesus was ministering to, he said, I understand there's power in your words. Amen. You don't even need to come to my house. Your word contains power. It's not just about communication. The word contains something that has impact. It isn't necessary to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. In the text that I read from Psalms 107, the psalmist in recounting the story of God's people throughout time didn't whitewash what they had gone through. He didn't pretend that it had all been roses. And you meet people that sometimes do that. People are not always honest. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man, fantastic. And they're going down the whole time. It's like they're afraid that if they admit that there's anything imperfect in their life, they may be imperfect in your eyes. And I don't care who you are, you're going to walk through some challenges in the course of your life. And sometimes it doesn't hurt to say, man, I'm doing as best I can, facing a little challenge right now, but by God's grace, I'm going to get through it. Amen. On the other hand, you talk to some folk, they've never had a good day in their entire life. Everything is wrong. Amen. You know what I mean? And you, wanna, you don't spend a lot of time with people like that as a general rule because all of us have enough challenges that we face personally that uh, we don't want to spend all of our time with someone who never sees the bright side of anything. And that's unfortunate because those people have been wounded somewhere in their past and they're, they're needy enough that they need attention. They just don't realize they're pushing people away by constantly demanding attention. I love the way the psalmist handled it here. He did not mind recounting the things that Israel went through. You will never have a testimony unless you're honest about your test. I, that, that was a better res- statement than the response was. You have to be honest about your test if you're ever going to have a testimony. He openly acknowledged that throughout their their history and progression as a people, Israel had not once or twice, but often found themselves in a variety of difficult places. It ranged from chains to chaos, from burdens to bondage, from dungeons to deserts and storms to starvation. He mentions all of this in this chapter, but he points out that each time they discovered themselves to be in a hopeless, harsh, and impossible circumstance, they stopped and did something. You know what that was? They prayed. Mm. Boy, the value of being able to pray and recognize where your help comes from. And do you know what happened when they prayed? Without exception, God intervened and changed everything. It's not that they, being in this world, went through things that I relate to so well, because, I mean, face it, we all go through things. Nor is it that they prayed that makes me relate to this situation, to these verses so well, because I, I too, have been where I've needed to pray and called on God and there wasn't any other solution. It isn't even, 
extraordinary in my mind knowing how gracious God is and good he is to hear us and how much he wants to help us that God responded. What I look at that piques my curiosity and arouses my interest is what did they do to get God to respond and how did he fix it? As I've mentioned, he sent his word. Whoa, he sent his word. That's what moves me. They prayed and God sent a word. Sometimes you just need a word spoken over your situation and it will change everything. Oh, I'm, I, I, I'm serious now. Because the word has creative power and produced the change that was needed and literally altered everything, Israel's circumstance took a 180-degree change for the opposite direction. God's words are powerful. We need to also understand when I deal with authority to bring your life into alignment with God's plan, you need to know that your words have power too, and why not? His words have power, but you were created in his likeness and in his image. Is it a surprise to us then that our words have power? Shouldn't be. And what does this mean by being created in his likeness and his image? We've always thought that that meant that because we have two legs and two arms and ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes and, you know, all of this symmetry that has to do with our body, that God must have that. And yet the scripture says he does not. God is not flesh. He, does, he is a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. When God said that we were made in his image, he is referring to other things that make us like him. Could it be that one of the things that he's referring to is the fact that he has put within us capabilities that are not dissimilar to the power that he possesses that have to do with speech? He speaks, things are created. I would contend that our world, our word has more creative power than we realize. Amen. And this is where I want you to realize this becomes critical and important. It's not just power to create for good. It's power to create for harm and for hurt. This is why Psalms 19:14, you hear David say, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I have power. Let me use it correctly in a way that pleases you. Amen. Now, last week, I'm sure that a number of you must have pulled up the YouTube video at home that I showed entitled The Amazing Resonance Experiment. Like I said, that's the field of cymatics, a newly developing field. It's been around for a time, but now it's beginning to gain serious medical attention and investigation is occurring. And again, what it means is sound is vibration and vibration creates form. And I showed you that. I want to show you a shorter video just to set the stage for today on what I'm going to talk about. This is a, a similar experiment, only this time instead of using rice, they're use, or rather salt, they're using rice. What's the same thing happen? This one now you can hear the sounds as the pitch changes. You're going to have to control that in back because it gets so high that it can almost hurt your ears even though it's not loud. And then it goes beyond the range of human hearing. Go ahead and play that. It's only just very short. So what's this? Now I'm going to show you something else because I want to 
emphasize that, that sound has tremendous creative properties. That was rice. The other was salt. Now let's remove all mechanical instrumentation in terms of electricity and sound generators and all of that. What you're about to see now is nothing but a simple drum like one of these right up here with the skin of the drum tuned and stretched tight. They level it at the first and then they pour sand on it. I want you to watch what a human voice does. Do, show that one if you would quickly because I want you to see the power that is in the sound of your voice. This is an Irish drum. Lest there was any lingering doubt in your mind that this is electricity and it's a, a plate and metal and some kind of reaction is going on, you get the very same effect with nothing but a simple drum that is made level and sand put on top when you begin to hum against it. God, have mercy. Because when you create sound, it has creative ability. Ah. Uh, all God did when Israel got in trouble was just go to humming. And Israel got delivered and healed because he sent his word into a situation. You don't know the power there is to create in your own mouth. And this is what I want to talk to you about here this morning. It's amazing because it demonstrates this so very clearly and when you see this experiment, I can almost see God leaning over heaven and looking at us in our circumstances and going, be healed. And all, all of a sudden, cancer starts melting away. You say, but that's God. But you're made in his image and in his likeness. Amen. Now, this got me to wondering. What is happening in the spirit dimension when all of this is going on? Amen. We all agree that our words have effect and impact in the spirit dimension, don't we? Or do we doubt that? If we doubt it, let's look at, first of all, what is prayer? Prayer is essentially words communicated from our heart, not to somebody within this dimension, but within the spirit dimension. Do I happen to be in a place where people believe that God hears prayers spoken from this physical realm? Does anybody in this building believe that when you mention his name, that something happens in the spirit dimension in my name? They shall cast out, oh God, do you feel that? Cast out devils, there is a certain sound that when you mention his name resonates in eternity? Doesn't happen, forgive me, I'm not here to cast stones at anybody's 
religion or their sincere belief in any faith. But I want to tell you, this doesn't happen if you say Muhammad. And it doesn't happen if you say Buddha. And it doesn't happen if you say Krishna. But if you say Jesus, something goes to resonating in the spirit world. Amen. There's power in the name. Look at what the Bible said, that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things where? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Not only does the name resonate in this dimension, in the spirit world, the words you speak have power. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you the big failing of religion. Religion has made everything about us. You get your act together, God might hear you. You are perfect, demons will fear you. No, it's not about you. On your best day, you're never going to be perfect. And you may look like you got your act together, but I've been on this planet long enough to know that looks are not everything. Hello, somebody. Never was about us anyway. It was always about him that when his name is called, and dare I say it, sometimes by people who don't even deserve to utter it, it still resonates in eternity because the power is not in you or me. It is in the name. Hallelujah. So do our words impact eternity? The spirit dimension? Clearly they do. Amen, because where does God live? Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and exalted one says, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a holy or high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. The King James says that this is the high and lofty one in eternity. From the spirit dimension, God hears us when we speak. Does he hear us? Listen to Psalms 91 and, five, uh, 91 and 15. He, speaking of all of us, will call on me. And God said, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. You may have a relative in Afghanistan and can't get a call through. I know somebody that's further away than that, but he never fails to hear when you call on his name. Amen. From the distant reaches of eternity. God can hear. Amen. And listen, this is what 1 John 5 and 14 says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, there's his word. Say those last three words. He hears. Come on, say it. He hears what? Did you, not, did you notice he did not say he hears me? Because then you could, then, then you could make the argument, oh, John's an apostle. He's great, man. He's got his name up there. He's got stripes all the way down his sleeves. John said when he prays that the Lord hears him. That's not what John said. What John said is when we pray, he hears us. And for that reason, let's change that pronoun now from U-S to M-E. Say it and personalize it. He hears me. When you speak, eternity hears what you have to say. I know this even when we're sinners, God hears us. How do I know it? Because until you get saved, you're a sinner. You're born in sin, shaping in iniquity. Romans 10 and 6 through 
uh, 10 says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Here's some guy that needs salvation, and what am I going to do? I tell you what, I'm going to find a passageway through the stars. I'm going to catch one of these space shuttles. I'm going up to the distant reaches of the universe, and I'm going to find God, and I'm going to plead my case, and I'm, I'm going to beg and implore that he please save me. No, that's not what the, the writer says we have to do. It's not who will ascend into heaven or or that is to bring Christ down to us, or who will say, uh, will ascend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. You're going to find a way to get into eternity, into the graves. You're going to go to the regions of the spirit realm and where the dead are, and you're going to bring back Christ that man can be saved. No, no, no. You can't climb to where God lives. You can't go to where Christ was buried. Amen. Amen. You can find the tomb, but like, just because the body's there doesn't mean the spirit's there. And so what does the scripture say? What does, does it say? The word is near you. What does it say? Say it with me. The word is, the what is near you? Come on, say it. The word. What is near you? What is near you? The word. How do you get saved when you're a sinner? The word. The word. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the absolute bona fide promise of the word of God. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. You've got to say it. Why? Because your word changes things. When you speak, something resonates in the spirit dimension. For it to count, you need to speak it. Amen. Another important question is when you speak, is God the only one who hears from the spirit dimension? I would contend no. He's not the only one that hears when you speak. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm quite sure the enemy hears us. Absolutely certain. Amen. Amen. He's subject to us, and we have authority over him and his horde in the name of Jesus. If they can't hear us, how are we going to exercise that authority? You hear what I'm saying? Just as Jesus hears us, I believe the enemy does. Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us Oh, in your name. I'm talking about bringing your world into alignment by saying the right words over your own life. They encountered demonic opposition and they came back and said, Lord, even the demons were subject to us. Now the question that would need to be asked is how did they know demons submitted to them? There was something apparently they saw that convinced them demons submitted. I would say that they were extrapolating from their experiences while at the side of Jesus. When they did what he did, when he cast out demons, they ended up seeing what they saw happen when he cast out demons. And how did Jesus cast out demons? Did he walk in, just stand around and look? No, he said a word. Come out of him. Amen. Oh, come on, I'm talking right now. Jesus said something. They watched him command spirits. Those spirits in turn obeyed his commands and came out of him. And apparently what they saw on their first missionary journey, the 70, was the same thing happening when they commanded spirits that occurred when Jesus commanded spirits. So now that tells me not only does God hear what we speak in this earth and from the spirit realm, it tells me that even demonic spirits hear us. And if you want a further proof of that, 
I know the enemy heard Paul in Acts 16 and 18 when that girl that was possessed of a demonic spirit that could tell the future followed him around. And she would say, let everybody pay attention. This is a servant of the Most High God. And he's going to tell you things whereby you may be saved. Like I preached here over a year ago, year and a half ago. That sounded great on the surface. You've even got the devil doing your PR for you, you know? You know? They're going to tell you how to get saved. You would think everybody would be happy. Uh Uh-uh. Paul wasn't happy. And he turned around one day, looked at that girl, and commanded that demonic spirit to come out of her. How do I know that that the enemy hears whenever we speak? It's because Acts 16 and 18, she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ to come out of her. He spoke directly to the Spirit, and from that moment she was delivered. I contend that it wasn't Paul's power that did it. It's the name that he spoke and the authority resident in the name. Just like it wasn't the power of the 70. Even they had sense enough to observe, yes, the demons are subject unto us, but it's in your name. That name set something to moving, like when that fellow bent over that drum and started speaking, sound came out of his mouth and started moving some stuff around. I want you to know when you bend over your world and begin to speak to things that are out of alignment, stuff starts moving around in your world and coming back into alignment with God. If the spirit dimension hears and responds to what we speak, Is it possible, then, the next question should be, logically, the question would be, do circumstances, challenges, and hardships respond to what we speak as well? Now, that's an important consideration. And let's look at what the Scripture says. Mark 11, 22 through 23. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this, what? You're telling me to speak to the mountain? Is there something wrong with you? That mountain doesn't have ears and can't hear me. You want me to speak to that cancer, that diabetes? You want me to speak to my financial situation? You want me to speak to the problem in my marriage? Jesus said, if any one of you says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Amen. There are many studies, and I'm getting ready to conclude. There are actually very many studies that have been done more recently in the medical and scientific community about the impact of words. Words have tremendous power. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, we used to say. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. Your words hurt you more than sticks and stones can hurt you. You better learn the name of that. That's a chaffalaya, not achafalaya. Amen. You need to know how to say some things right. Do you hear what I'm talking about? It's not a schedule. It's a schedule. Not a laboratory. It's a lab. You get my point. I'm not knocking anybody's pronunciation. What I'm saying is, is that as a believer, you've got to learn some things up front and you've got to learn to speak what is right if you want your situation to change. 
Many studies have been done on what they call biofeedback, where people literally speak to their sicknesses and their illnesses. And they have found that it has actually a tremendous and quite amazing result. Consider, for example, the placebo effect that most of us are well familiar with. The placebo effect is a recognized and accepted phenomenon in medical research. They know that whenever they have a control group of people and they give them a new and experimental drug and they tell this, this, this uh, the, the first group a, 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 uh, an experimental drug and they give to the control a group over here a sugar pill. That's all it is. It has no medicinal value. It's fake, in other words. They tell them you're receiving the same thing. They know that the people that are in the group that are receiving the fake pill are some of them are going to experience remarkable turnarounds in their, their health. They also know that because every medicine <laughs> has side effects of one kind or another, they have to warn people even in the control group that you might end up experiencing side effects. Listen to what I'm talking about. The placebo effect is so powerful that it literally works one-third of the time with one-third of the patients. It actually dilates bronchi, heals ulcers, makes warts disappear, drops your blood pressure, and hold on men. It even makes bald men who have been told they're getting Rogaine but are not, it makes their hair start growing again. This is a documented fact. What you are told does affect you. Most of us have heard about this. But let me ask you conversely what happens if somebody speaks the wrong things. They have a name for that too. Did you, you didn't know this. But while everybody is familiar with the placebo effect, are you familiar with the nocebo effect? That's a medical term. Pull it up. Google it. Let me tell you what the nocebo effect is. Harvard Health, Psychology Today, the New Yorker, the Scientist, the New York Times, and the Smithsonian have all recently published reports documenting this phenomenon. For example, the New York Times article by Paul Inc. and Winford Hauser published August 10, 2012, quotes, uh, I quote rather, but expectations can also do harm. When a patient anticipates a pill's possible side effects, he can suffer them even if the peel is a fake. Almost one-third of the patients in the control group, when they are told that this peel that we're giving you has side effects that are bad, develop the symptoms and the side effects and actually in some cases develop the diseases that they claim are associated. And remember, they're just getting a sugar peel. What am I trying to tell you? Medical science is beginning to understand there's more to faith than you might realize. You don't just believe it, you gotta say it. And do you know what they've also found out? They found out, listen, that whenever someone speaks over a patient and, and they're told that <coughs> these side effects may develop that negative word spoken over them actually manifests itself. Now you say, is there Bible for this? Proverbs 23 and 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. 
To think and then speak your thoughts is when it really accelerates and becomes extremely powerful. Proverbs 18 and 21. Are you ready? The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. I'm here to turn somebody's life around today and tell you you can send the word into your circumstance. Come on, help me out. I'm closing. You can send the word into your finances. This is actually one of the reasons that whenever you hear so much negativity that you watch, things inevitably will get worse. You turn on the TV and it's full of negative news. There are days I go when I don't even turn on the TV. I don't want to hear any negativity. I want to keep my mind filled with positive things. You hear what I'm saying? Because I've got enough negativity around me already. I don't need somebody telling me how bad it is and how this one made a mistake and this is poor leadership. You know what I need to do? I need to speak over my world and I need to say, God, you're my shepherd and you're in charge and I shall not want. I will lie down in the middle of green pastures. I will be blessed. You say, does this actually affect you? Are you serious, pastor, that you believe that the words that I say can impact my life? Let's conclude by looking at Numbers 13 and 33. They had sent 12 spies into the promised land that God said contains houses you have not built, wells you have not dug, vineyards you have not planted, barns that are full that you didn't even have to work to be able to uh, cause the increase to occur and the harvest to take place. And you go in and take it because I am with you. And 12 spies went in and two of them came back saying we're well able to take the land. But there were 10 others. And you hear what they said in Numbers 13 and 33. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our what? Our own sight. And so were we in their sight. What you speak is what you create. Mm. And so stop running when cancer rears its head and saying, I'm a grasshopper. I need somebody to say, don't call me grasshopper anymore. Amen. Come on. I feel like Cain back in the day. Don't call me grasshopper. You know, I'm not grasshopper. Uh Uh-uh. I call myself grasshopper. That's what you're going to see when you look at me. I call myself sick. That's what you're going to experience. I call myself suffering. My life is going to be filled with it. I call myself broke. I call my business dying. I'm speaking into my world the very things that are coming out of my mouth. I'm humming and I'm forming the world that I live in with the words of my mouth. Whoa. On the other hand, if I look at that situation and do what David did, because David faced giants too. And David didn't say, I'm a grasshopper. He was only a 16 or a 17-year-old boy 
But David looked at the grasshopper and the giant was saying, I'm going to tear your head off. I'm going to feed your body, your carcass to the fowl of the air and, and the animals of the field. And, and David would, <sighs> you come against me with sword and spear. What did he say? I come against you. Come on, help me. I come against you with what? Come on, I, what? I come against you in the name of the Lord. He spoke it. He spoke it. He spoke it. Amen. Not just the name, but he spoke the fact that he was coming with God's backing and authority.